The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. Stocks coming off their first winning session in four, but look, we're still setting up for a notable accomplishment for the first time since the financial crisis. And third time's the charm as Sam Bankman-Fried gets set to depart for U.S. soil this morning. Do I sound like a broken record? First, it's one more visit to a Bahamian courtroom. Elon Musk breaking his silence over this week's Twitter poll, asking if users uh, think he should step down as CEO. So is he going to do it now? Move out of the way here. There we go. We're looking at a rare D.C. visit as Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky gets set to meet with President Biden. And then later, the House Ways and Means Committee votes to release Donald Trump's tax returns, capping off a years-long battle with the former president. This is Wednesday, December 21st, 2022, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning, everybody. I'm in uh, for Brian Sullivan this morning, Contessa Brewer. And let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after a modestly higher session yesterday. Uh, listen, anything in the green at this point will take. S&P 500 looks like we're heading for an implied open up 25 points. The Dow Jones futures are up in a big way, 261 points this morning for the implied open and NASDAQ up 75. Any gains this week? or next likely to do very little for what has been a historic year for stocks. Year to date, the Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ are down more than 9%, 19%, and 32% respectively, all on track for their worst year-to-date performance since 2008, the great financial crisis looming large in our minds once again. Let's check on the bond market now with yields falling slightly overnight. The benchmark 10-year note uh, is moving lower now at 3.682% and uh, for the yield, and the two-year T-note at 4.230 yield. In energy, oil comes off a more than 1% gain yesterday. This morning, again, moving higher. You've got WTI up nearly a percent. Uh, Brent is up a percent, and Nat Gas up three and three-quarters percent. A quick check here on two big money movers this morning. Shares of Nike are really popping in the early trade ahead of the open now. You can see that they're up 13 uh, percent, topping estimates for its most recent earnings quarter, even as higher costs squeeze the margins there. And then FedEx is also moving higher in the early trade, up 5 percent. It's cutting another billion dollars in costs on top of what it already announced in September. Weak demand, it said, is eating into its bottom line for the fourth straight quarter. We'll have much more on both of these stocks later this hour. Let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia and the early trade in Europe. And boy, did we start with some big news from Bank of Japan yesterday. Arabile Gumide is standing by in our London newsroom for us. Arabile, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Contessa. So as you can tell, pretty mixed picture on the Asian board, and it does come after the interesting news coming out of the Bank of Japan, deciding then to uh, kind of tweak their yield curve control policy. And that was kind of to allow uh, the yield on the 10-year Japanese government bond to move 
around 50 basis points either side of its 0% target. We've spoken to analysts who said this isn't necessarily a, 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 a quintessential move or a major move for the market in Japan, but you've seen market reaction uh, totally move in a totally different direction than today. You're seeing the Shanghai Composite two, uh, two tenths of a percent weaker, the Hang Seng around a third of a percent stronger there with the Nikkei uh, two thirds of a percent weaker. Onto the European bosses, then you've seen uh, some strength coming through across the board here, then with even uh, the FTSE, one, uh, FTSE MIB rather going up eight tenths of a percent. It does follow on from that trade from yesterday out of the United States where we finally saw the U.S. kind of break that four day losing streak as well. The news out of Japan also filtering through somewhat uh, and uh, moving uh, a lot of the market a little bit further forward. Then the CAC 40 nearly 1% to the good with half a percent stronger as well uh, for the FTSE 100. So markets today reversing that negative trend uh, seen in the previous trading session. Back to you, Contessa. Arabile, thanks for getting us up to speed uh, overseas. We appreciate that. Well, Elon Musk is to CNBC what, I don't know, the Kardashians are to E! Entertainment. Let's get some of this morning's top headlines from Silvana Hanau. Silvana, Elon Musk news. <laughs> That's right, Contessa. Good morning to you. So Elon Musk says he will resign as a CEO of Twitter as soon as he has found someone, quote, foolish enough to take the job. Now, this is Musk's first public comment since the, since the on the topic he pulled users on the topic and they overwhelmingly voted he should step down from his post earlier this week. Musk says once a successor is found, he will continue to run the company's software and server teams. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky confirming reports he is heading to Washington, D.C. today to meet with President Biden. In a tweet just hours ago, Zelensky telling followers he is on his way to the U.S. and looks forward to discussing ongoing cooperation between Ukraine and the U.S., Zelensky will also speak to members of Congress. The visit coincides with the White House announcing a new package of nearly $2 billion of security assistance for Ukraine that will include a Patriot missile battery. And the NFL is reportedly in advanced talks to give YouTube exclusive rights to its NFL Sunday ticket subscription package. The deal could be announced as soon as today following a meeting of league owners who approve all rights deals. Terms of the deal are not yet available. DirecTV, which is co-owned by AT&T and private equity group TPG, currently pays $1.5 billion a year for rights to the package, Contessa. So interesting to watch this back and forth. And, yeah. and also to see whether these, uh, these streaming platforms will get back a return on their investment. That's, so. Yep, that's, that's key to watch, yep. Silvana, thank you. You got it. Back on Wall Street, stock futures trading higher on the back of yesterday's first positive session in five. Investors digesting mixed results from Nike and FedEx and gaining additional insight into the health of the U.S. consumer and the broader economy. Micron, Rite Aid and Carmex are also set to release numbers later this week as Wall Street enters the final trading days of the year. Joining me now, Jim Pratt Heaney, founding partner at Coastal Bridge Advisors. And number 92 on this year's CNBC Financial Advisor 100 list. Congratulations on making it to that list for the first time. Uh, Jim, you know, I note that you left sort of what we are knowing, how we call it in the industry, the wirehouse. You left these big full-service brokerages um, in the great financial crisis of 2008. Now we're seeing markets that haven't seen this point since that time. How do you view where we're heading in 2023? Are you an optimist? Uh, I think we're always optimists. And thank you very much for having us this morning, Contessa. Uh, 
being part of the top 100 is uh, very important. We're very proud of that achievement. Yes, we did leave in October of 2008 in the middle of all the turmoil. And I think what we saw then is what we see now. And that is clients are worried and um, they have to wonder what's what's coming up next for them. So we really see our job as uh, making sure that we uncomplicate all of these uh, financial situations they find themselves in. Um, we totally focus on each client individually. We really can't predict the future. Uh, we're not economists, but we do focus on our clients and make sure that their life goals are accomplished. Are you positioning your clients to weather a recession? Absolutely. Um, not because we knew one was coming, because we, you know, uh, many recessions are predicted. But in our intensive planning process, um, we assume that these things are going to happen, that there was going to be sell-offs. You know, no one knew the pandemic was coming. No one knew 08 was coming. No one knew 9-11 was coming. So our portfolios are diversified. And um, we also have built in inflation to all of our plans. So, you know, I, I think if you are an investor and you're deciding now what to do about inflation or recession, you're behind the curve and you need to mm -hmm. get a plan for yourself. Uh, are there are there particular sectors that you're avoiding and are those uh, are there sectors that you're leading into? Are you looking at small caps uh, large caps, mega caps, where where do you think that there are opportunities for your clients? So again, our, our key is diversification. So we don't manage any of the money ourselves in-house. We hire what we consider the best money managers in each asset class. So as we go through our planning, we come up with the asset allocation, not based on what the market might, may or may not do, but based on what the clients need. So yes, we have small cap, we have large cap, we have downside protection in many of our portfolios. We have alternatives that act differently than stocks and bonds. And again, taking the emotion out of all the all the negative news that, that people see, we can stay with that allocation and don't have to make major moves or yeah. major sector bets at any time. Jim Pratt Heaney, a new addition to the CNBC Financial Advisor 100 list. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you, Contessa. Great to be here. When we come back, it is departure day for Sam Bankman-Fried as he trades a Bahamian jail cell for one a bit closer to home. Plus, more on FedEx and Nike, what their results mean for investors heading into a new year. And later details on Tesla's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad year. A very busy hour of worldwide exchange right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. 
That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Sam Bankman-Fried expected back in a Bahamas courtroom on day three of extradition. Watch the former CEO is now the bankrupt crypto exchange of FTX is promising that he will surrender himself to the feds. And there you see her, CNBC tech reporter Mackenzie Sagalos with Minoy. Now, I, I mean, third time's the charm. Are we going to actually see this happen in Nassau? You know, it feels like this time is actually different. Contessa, a Bahamas prison official, told NBC News Sam Bankman-Fried already filed his extradition paperwork on Tuesday. That document is apparently with the courts right now. The acting commissioner of corrections also confirmed that Bankman-Fried would be flying back to the U.S. today after the Third hearing of the week wraps up. It is set to start at 11 a.m. Eastern, though it wouldn't surprise me if they push back that timing, given how the last few days have gone. Now, a source familiar with the matter told me that Bankman-Fried's team is not anticipating further issues with the process. So if everything goes according to plan, which Mm -hmm. has fast become the new catchphrase of the week, Bankman-Fried will soon be on a Manhattan-bound federal aircraft. The U.S. Marshal Service is responsible for carrying out extraditions to the U.S. from foreign countries. So if the DOJ has the marshals and a plane ready, Bankman-Fried could leave immediately after the hearing. But frankly, Contessa, I said it yesterday. I'll say it again today. I am not convinced that extradition is happening until I literally see video of Bankman-Fried on a tarmac in New York. Because it seems like anything can happen. But if Bankman-Fried does actually get on a plane that is actually going to Manhattan, what is anticipated to be the process on U.S. soil? So once Bankman-Fried is on the ground in the U.S., there are a few different ways this could go. Ordinarily, he would be taken to a detention center for processing before heading to a hearing. But if plans were made in advance with the magistrate, a former senior government trial lawyer tells me that the court could actually allow a hearing before processing. Now, in that case, Bankman-Fried would head from the plane directly to a Manhattan federal court. That would certainly help to expedite the process. Regardless, this first hearing will be called an initial appearance, and it happens in front of a federal magistrate judge. It will also serve as an arraignment, which is a formal hearing post-indictment. He'll be read his rights and will be informed of the maximum possible sentence. He'll very likely plead not guilty to those eight criminal charges against him. That's also when we get some clarity on probably the biggest question that a lot of people have, which is whether Bankman-Fried will be granted bail or remanded to the Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn, the former home of Jeffrey Epstein and R. Kelly. The judge will review the pretrial services report and the recommendation of both sides to make a determination regarding bond. All right, Mackenzie Segalos. Uh, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, I understand, is in this cell at Fox Hill Prison in Nassau, and we were talking about this yesterday. I wanted so many more details about what the living conditions are like. Yeah. Metropolitan Detention Center has its own laundry list of issues, but clearly it would be a step up, right? Yeah, I mean, as you said, Contessa, Fox Hill Prison is notorious for its harsh conditions. The State Department in a 2021 report flagged issues like overcrowding, poor nutrition, both inadequate sanitation and medical care at the Bahamas prison where Bankman Freed has been living this past week. That being said, the Metropolitan Detention Center also has a problematic track record. We're talking everything from reports of unsanitary conditions, including rodent and roach infestations, to former guards being convicted of raping an inmate. This is also the same facility where Jeffrey Epstein allegedly committed suicide. So I guess it's unclear whether or not this is is a huge step up from where he is right now. It looks different on the outside. I'll tell you that. Mackenzie, thanks. Thanks, Contessa. On deck. I mean, this is a sector that whether you're invested in it or not, this segment affects everybody. 
insurance. Yesterday, we looked at what could be a price crisis in the making in California. Today, we're talking insurance stocks, what has been a wild ride in 2022, and whether there is some smooth sailing ahead for these group of companies. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Well, this has been a year of haves and have-nots for insurers and global brokerages. Some names have way outperformed the broader markets this year. Arch Capital Group leads the way. It has risen more than 40% year-to-date. Look at that, 41.5%. W.R. Berkeley, the big brokerage, at 32%. And Car Insurer Progressive, up nearly 24% year-to-date. Aflac, Travelers, and reinsurer Everest Re. Uh, also are turning in notable performances in 2022. Other names have seen better days with Life Insurer, Lincoln National, down 57%. A number of upstarts with direct consumer models also down deep in 2022. Lemonade off 63%. Hippo has lost 87% of its share price. And Root down more than 90% year to date. Let's talk more about this with Andrew Kligerman, who's the managing director at Credit Suisse. He joins me on the CNBC Newsline now and covers insurance. Um, Andrew, we were talking a little bit about the car insurers. This has been such a tough year for them because they've seen their loss costs, how much they pay out in claims skyrocket well beyond what they could have predicted because used and new car prices, supply chain issues, parts issues, labor issues and the like. So why are all state and progressive up so much this year. Yes, fantastic. Uh, so, so all state and uh, progressive are not up dramatically. They're up, and uh, and that that's phenomenal versus the market. Um, two things, and 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 they're very different. Progressive has felt at, was so agile in the first half of. 2021, figuring out that lost costs were spiking, figuring all this out and taking action uh, while the others weren't yet ready. And so now, today, a year or two later, they're poised to take share. So people like Progressive because they've been so ahead of the curve historically. All state in contrast felt the pressures of the industry, the spiking loss costs, the rise in auto parts, used car prices. Please rate your overall experience in this call with one being high and two being low. Well, that that is clearly um, an issue with uh, our phone line there. We're having technical issues this morning. Even in late 2022, these um, video Zoom calls don't always work out the way that we intend them to. It turns out that Video conferencing is rather difficult. Andrew, do I have you now? You do. I apologize. No yeah. worries. Okay, so uh, so so that explains the car insurers. And then on the on the flip side, I mentioned that Root, which is sort of this upstart, this insure tech. You know, they they were trying to turn the model on its head and go directly to consumers. It's faced a really tough year. It talked about laying off 
uh, a, a large percentage of employees earlier this year and downsizing its real estate footprint. Uh, what kind of a picture is facing some of these direct consumer uh, what models? contributed most yeah. to our experience? Was that One, customer service. Two, we're, agent knowledge. Three, resolution. Uh, well, unfortunately, we're having some some uh, problems there. Andrew, do you do I still have you? Yes, okay. you do. All right. Um, well, would you try so, me back? So, what, so the other thing that I wanted to mention, as long as we're talking about insurance, and this is the sector that I cover, is that reinsurance, um, it may be set to really outperform next year, in part because the reinsurers have way cut back their exposure to problematic areas like Florida. The cost for reinsurance, this is what insurers pay for their own insurance. Uh, the costs have really soared. And so what you're seeing is some of the reinsurers looking for a 2023 that's good. And the global brokerages, they say everybody's in demand. So there's buyers and sellers on both sides, and they're gearing up for an optimistic 2023, something that I had talked to Andrew Kliegerman about earlier this week. Sorry that the tech problems didn't work out for us. Ahead, activist thrill seekers, shares of Six Flags surging as investors welcome a new patron coming to its parks. It's not the roller coasters they're after. First, a quick look at shares of Tesla. And this has been, folks, a brutal year for this stock, closing down another 8%. Yesterday, you can see it's up in the pre-market, 2.5%, uh, set to open with a market cap below that of ExxonMobil and below 150 bucks a share for the first time in two years. And even worse, when you take a step back, Tesla's on track for its worst month its worst quarter, its worst year in history, down more than 60%. Worldwide Exchange is back right after this. Well, stocks snapped their losing streak, providing some fresh hope for a potential year-end rally. Futures suggest momentum may carry over. Nike shares surging on the back of quarterly results as the apparel giant chips away at its inventory surplus. And a similar story for FedEx, despite signs of softening demand and more cost-cutting efforts. It's Wednesday, December 21st, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome to Wednesday, everybody. I'm Contessa Brewer in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Let's get right to the markets now. Stocks snapped their four-day losing streak yesterday. We've got future high, futures higher across the board right now. The Dow especially is notable uh, with an implied open up 259 points at this point. The Nasdaq futures are up 69 and the S&P futures up 24. A check on some of the morning's top stories this morning. Silvana now here with us with those. Silvana. Contessa, a congressional committee voting to release former President Trump's tax returns to the public. The House Ways and Means Committee says it will take a few days to remove sensitive information before releasing the redacted documents. The committee received the tax records, which covered 2015 through 2020 last month after a three-year court battle to obtain them over the former president's objections. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg taking the stand as a part of the FTC's case to block his company's $400 million deal for VR app maker within. Zuckerberg admitting yesterday his company is trying to shape the future of technology in its decision to buy the app rather than develop its own product. The Meta case is the first by the FTC under Chair Lena Khan to challenge a consumer tech deal. 
And shares of Six Flags are jumping following a report that an activist shareholder is urging the theme park operator to sell or spin off its real estate. According to The Wall Street Journal, Land and Buildings Investment Management, which has a roughly 3% stake in Six Flags, has been in touch with that company's management about the potential move. The journal says Land and Buildings believes Six Flags real estate alone is likely worth more than its current market cap of more than $1.7 billion dollars. Six Flags shares are down more than 48% this year, Contessa. Savannah Hanau, thank you so much. Appreciate that. We are watching shares of FedEx this morning, which are moving higher in the early trade, even though it delivered more bad news to investors. Look at that. It's up 4.2% in the extended trade. It reported lower earnings and sales from a year earlier and warned of continued weaker demand. Disappointing results capped off a rocky year for the company and its new CEO, which earlier this year withdrew full-year guidance and announced a massive cost-cutting strategy, one that it's doubling down on in the new year. The declining demand trends we saw at the end of Q1 softened further in the second quarter, and we are moving faster and with more determination than ever to accelerate our cost actions. Today, we will provide more detail on those cost actions. Year-to-date losses for industry rival UPS pale in comparison to FedEx, more than 33% declined. Joining me now is Bank of America's securities research analyst covering transports, Ken Hexter. Ken, it's good to talk to you this morning. Good morning, Katessa. Happy holidays. So for investors, if you're watching the shares moving higher, is it clear that the cost-cutting measures at this point are more significant, that that news outweighs what FedEx is warning about weaker demand? Well, yeah, I think the, the key here that we, we've seen is, is the weaker demand. Uh, you know, look, the stock is down tremendously when they pulled their guidance earlier. You know, you were looking for over $24 of earnings this year. Now they're targeting 13 to $14. So a significant earnings base has been built into the stock. I think what investors looked for yesterday is the company's detail on on really taking a lot of costs out of this network. And and the key word was to hear structural costs out. You, you know, we're obviously it's management's move to take some cyclical costs as the economy slows. But if things have structurally changed at FedEx, I think investors really wanted to hear about some se- uh, secular costs. I think that's what we heard a little bit about in terms of adding another billion dollars on of cost cuts for uh, for this year raising the total that they're targeting to pull out up to $3.7 billion. You know, that's a pretty big and, and rapid move, faster than they had expected. But it also indicates how weak things were, because if you didn't do that extra billion dollars, you'd be another $3 of earnings lower. So it's, it's a, a pretty significant rapid move to, to highlight how fast the economy is deteriorating for Ken, them. Ken, what's your sense of how much pressure CEO Raj uh, Subramanian is under filling these massive shoes left behind by this legendary former CEO? You know, look, Fred Smith was certainly a legendary CEO in terms of founding the company, building the company over the years. Uh, But I think investors over the last, uh, you know, decade or so have really wanted to see an accelerating of free cash flow. It's something that UPS talks a lot about in terms of generating that free cash and what you can do with that cash once you have it. Uh, They clearly uh, focused on building out their ground network replacing their entire air network fleet uh, is something that FedEx has been working on. And that uses a lot of cash. And so that's cash that doesn't go back to shareholders or buybacks or or what have you. 
And as FedEx gets closer to the end of its fleet replacement and admits that they overbuilt on the ground, well, then there's a chance to now start generating some of that cash. And I think that's what investors want to see is that switch to, to securing the network uh, that they've done. They've overbuilt. They admit that. That's why there's so much opportunity to pull costs out and now generate some cash flow going forward. Looking in hindsight now, how do you see their decision to, uh, to move on from Amazon? Well, look, Amazon is, is a huge uh, buyer of freight, but also UPS is facing a, a huge, uh, I guess, counter argument that, hey, you've got 13% of your, your revenues were from Amazon last year. They've, they're falling to less than 11% this year. So now every question for UPS, not every question, but a big focus for UPS is, how are you building small, medium-sized businesses to counter the continued loss of Amazon as it builds out its own network? So, you know, a move for FedEx that they chose early on that it wasn't covering their costs and said, hey, we've got to move on. We've got to recover costs. I thought that was a huge focus for the air freight industry to start charging for the quality of their network. And that's something that was really key yeah. is to focus on pricing. I, I, you have a neutral rating on FedEx and UPS and TFI. You have buy ratings on a lot of the railroads that you cover and other transports at this point. Is there a broad theme that you're extracting from these transport companies about where we're heading for 2023? Well, yeah, if, if you go back, we, we downgraded virtually most of our coverage back in April as we started to see, if you remember, the spot rates on trucking start to fall, which ultimately fell about 34%. Uh, with uh, without fuel, uh, you know, with fuel about 20 percent, you've seen ocean going rates down over 80 percent. So, you know, the uh, transportation, we don't make much. We just move it. And, and when we realized, uh, you know, we were going to see less being moved. I think FedEx, you know, if you look at their data, express volumes down 12 percent, uh, freight and ground volumes down 9 percent this quarter and accelerating. They gave mm. monthly data for the first time in, in 20 years. We followed them. They're accelerating into the end of the quarter. That tells you a lot about where we're heading right now. Uh, so it's about finding when do we find that floor and that base uh, to find that inflection point. That's really important. In terms of the rails and other things, you know, look, they're, they're one group that can show some relative freight outperformance. You've got some grain volumes up in Canada, a huge grain crop, and you've got some other things that are working as their congestion cleared up. They're able to move some volume. So that was just a relative call, I think, within the group and, and seeing those volumes up when everything else is coming down. Investors looking for somewhere to find some growth. Ken Hexter, I appreciate your time early this morning. Thank you. Happy holidays. Thank you very much, Contessa. Have a great one. Coming up, the White House preparing for a rare high-stakes visit by Ukraine's president. Kayla Tausche standing by with the top priorities for Presidents Biden and Zelensky's one-on-one meeting on Worldwide Exchange Returns. 38 minutes past the hour. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. And here we go. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried has signed papers to pave the way for his extradition from the Bahamas to the United States as soon as today. A court hearing set for 11 a.m. Eastern time. Elon Musk says he'll resign as Twitter CEO as soon as he's found someone, quote, foolish enough to take the job. Well, that's alluring, isn't it? In a tweet last night, Musk says he'll continue to run Twitter software and server teams. General Motors is recalling 150,000 Chevy Bolts in North America, saying the floor carpet could catch fire in a crash when the front seatbelt system deploys. The stock is up a third of a percent in the pre-trade. The NFL is close to striking a deal with YouTube TV for the exclusive rights to the Sunday ticket package. The rights to that package have long been held by DirecTV. 
Senators Joe Manchin and Bill Hegarty will propose raising the tax reporting threshold for transfers using payment services such as PayPal and Venmo. They want to raise it to $10,000. The current level is $600. And a group led by mortgage lending billionaire Matt Ishbia is buying the NBA's Phoenix Suns and the WNBA's Phoenix Mercury for a record $4 billion. Current owner Robert Sarver was suspended by the NBA for violating workplace standards. On deck for Worldwide Exchange, Fairlead Strategies, Katie Stockton, on the negative trends she's seeing in the markets and the red hot sector she says is set to cool in the new year. If you don't already, why don't you follow the podcast? If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We'll be right back. Gearing up for the trading day ahead at 10 a.m. Eastern time, we get November existing home sales and December consumer confidence figures. We get earnings from Carnival, Cintas, and Micron. And we're also expecting the January 6th committee to release its final report on the attack on the U.S. Capitol. In Washington, D.C., we're watching a developing story this morning. Details emerged late last night on what's being described as a high-stakes visit by Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky meeting with President Biden at the White House today. Kayla Tausche joins us now with more. Okay, so this is a surprise visit in that uh, it wasn't publicly known that he would be coming. What possibly could be on the docket for President Biden and President Zelensky? Well, Contessa, this meeting was kept very close hold. It was confirmed just in recent days. This is President Volodymyr Zelensky's first time setting foot outside his country in the 300 days since the war in Ukraine began. Planning for the visit confirmed by U.S. and European officials and NBC News sources coming in the wake of Congress authorizing nearly $45 billion in new aid to the country as part of that wide-ranging spending package that's drawn some Republican criticism. And as the U.S. is set to send a $2 billion Patriot missile defense system to the country, a move Russia's foreign ministry has said would represent an escalation in the conflict. Zelensky will hold an extended meeting with President Biden, meet with Biden's national security team and his cabinet secretaries, and address American reporters at a press conference before delivering an evening speech before a joint session of Congress. The visit lasting just a matter of hours before Zelensky and his delegation will return to Ukraine. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi sent a letter to lawmakers yesterday requesting all members be physically present at a Wednesday evening session she called a very special focus on democracy. Zelensky has appeared often in front of leaders and lawmakers of Western nations and the private sector, but has done so virtually. He declined to leave or be relocated earlier in the conflict over fears of a coup. The two countries confirmed the visit on Sunday, according to a senior administration official who said that President Zelensky personally signed off on the security protocol presented by U.S. officials, with NBC News reporting the State Department, Capitol Police and emergency management personnel conducted walkthroughs on Tuesday. And the senior administration official said the timing of this visit, Contessa, should not be seen as suggesting that the end of the war is nearing. Well, no, and I would think that if we're sending $2 billion in, uh, in heavy 
uh, high-tech defense equipment that represents an escalation, it's an indication that uh, senior U.S. officials believe that there's a lot more work to do. What is more probable? You mentioned that Republicans are balking at the amount of money that has been um, uh, set aside for Ukraine in the spending bill. Is it the entire spending bill that's a problem for them or the amount of spending with Ukraine in particular? Well, it depends on who you ask. Certainly, a lot of the public rhetoric, uh, even around Ukraine, has suggested that under the new Congress in January, there will not be a blank check. But even some of the members who have said those comments, like uh, the expected House leader, Kevin McCarthy, uh, he then moved privately to assuage some of his colleagues that he would not be moving to withhold any of that spending. And when a senior administration official was asked whether Zelensky's message would be, you know, more targeted toward toward Republicans and suggesting that this aid needs to continue. The official said that, no, the message will be directed squarely at Russia and that it is the expectation that even in the new Congress, that aid will continue to flow and it will continue to be bipartisan. Contessa. When you're looking at the fact that we're approaching now uh, the one year mark of the start of this invasion in Ukraine by the Russians, what do you get the sense that the appetite is in the White House and on Capitol Hill, Kayla, to um, to give Ukraine the firepower it needs to definitively move this particular conflict beyond the back and forth, the back and forth that we've been seeing. Well, I think there is still a lot of appetite, Contessa, to continue sending this artillery, this weaponry, this military equipment, especially because they're seeing results on the ground with Ukraine's military. There was some reporting in recent weeks that suggested that the U.S. believes that perhaps Ukraine would have the military capability to retake Crimea, the peninsula that, of course, uh, Russian uh, Russian forces took over back in 2014. Uh, essentially signaling the beginning of this conflict a very long time ago. But now there's a belief that Ukraine has real military might and that that is coming uh, on the back of some of this Western firepower that it's receiving. And so the fact that they're continuing to give it, they're hoping to see results from that. Uh, It's worth noting, Contessa, that the senior official said that Ukraine's military will be training on these Patriot missile defense systems in a third country and then be moving those systems, that battery of uh, of, uh, missile defense systems back into Ukraine so that Russia hopefully won't be able to say that, you know, this is this is a, a, a NATO incursion into the conflict. But I think so long as they're seeing results, they will continue to do it. Kayla, Kayla Talshi reporting on this developing story for us. And we'll be keeping our eye on uh, Washington, D.C., of course, today as that visit and the session of Congress um, happens. Thank you, Kayla. Back to futures now popping after a rough few days with just seven trading sessions left for the year. Joining me now is Katie Stockton, founder and managing partner at Fairlead Strategies, also a CNBC contributor. Katie, good to see you. We, we thought this morning, let's do a little rapid fire, right? We, let's first get out on the macro level. How do you see the closing out of 2022 and the ushering in of 2023 for the for the global economy and for these big headwinds that we have faced this year. Yeah, I mean, we're so close to year end, right? And I know everybody's talking about the Santa Claus rally, but I think we need to look past that. I think we'll probably see firmness through year end. Uh, And yet, I think a lot of volatility is in store for us in January to start off the new year. And I say that in part based on the posture of our short-term indicators, which, as you can imagine, are pointing lower, very similar to after the summertime relief rally. 
We also had resistance levels intact at the 200-day moving averages for many of the major indices and also individual stocks. We have a short-term breakdown in Apple stock, which of course is a bellwether. And the VIX is set up in a way that we can harken back, unfortunately, to 2008, where it actually preceded a pretty massive volatility spike. So we're bracing for more risk to start off the new year. And yet we think that that kind of downdraft that we are expecting where 3,500 is retested by the S&P 500 could actually give way to some kind of major low. It's notable that you're among the many guests that I've talked to on CNBC in recent weeks who keep bringing up gold as a, a safe haven. Right. I mean, it has really turned the corner of late. We've had intermediate term momentum improve there, reversed a downtrend that had been enforced for some of this year. And also the relative performance has really turned the corner as well this year versus the S&P 500. There's a gradual uptrend in the ratio of gold to the S&P 500. And that to us suggests that as we see this kind of volatility expand, that gold will become something that draws people in and, and other precious metals would apply there as well. When you look at the long-term oversold reading that gold is reacting to, it's a bit higher conviction than the longer-term oversold reading that we're seeing in equities. And that's because gold is in a range as opposed to a downtrend. So that's when those oversold conditions tend to be a little bit higher probability. So we are looking for gold to clear sort of near-term resistance in the coming weeks here for a, an initial upside target of about 1,900 per ounce. Let me drill down on some news that we just got late yesterday after, for instance, Nike reported earnings. We are seeing shares soaring on the back of their second quarter top and bottom line beats. Uh, but higher costs squeezing the margins, inventories up year over year. They were slightly down from a quarter to go. It looks like they're making slow progress on managing inventories. The thing that I really thought was notable here, Katie, is that Nike said in its digital segments, it's seeing so much progress because customers are signing up to be members. This idea that you would be a member the way you would for uh, an airline rewards program is really notable. Right. And it's nice to have some good news and some favorable reactions out there because we haven't seen much of that of late. And, and unfortunately, though, Nike stock has really been a longer term underperformer. And with this bounce likely today on the back of this news, Nike is going to come into resistance on the chart. It's around 118 and a half, so slightly below based on where it's bit up this morning. Uh, but it creates a proving ground for the stock because it is in a downtrend, very much like the broader market. And what I feel is that the top-down influences are so, so strong here that as much as you can make a fundamental case, there is that challenge, right? Even if you know folks feel confident in Nike's prospects, if it's a mm. downtrending market, it just creates that much more of a hurdle for Nike. So that resistance, I'll be really interested to see if it can get through. All right. Shares up, though, right now more than 12.5% in the early trade. Stock two, we're watching shares of Tesla. This has been a brutal year for this stock, closing down another 8% yesterday. Tesla is set to open this morning with a market cap below that of ExxonMobil, below $150 a share. It would be the first time in two years that it's hit that level. Tesla's on track for its worst month, its worst quarter, its and its worst year in history. Katie, does that mean that this could be an opportunity to get into Tesla and, and have a historic buying opportunity? 
I mean, it certainly could, but there is no support right in line. So I think we have to respect that we've seen a series of breakdowns for Tesla, and the stock clearly exhibits negative momentum at this stage still across all time frames. So I wouldn't want to be the first one to try to pick up the shares at low levels. I'd rather see Tesla enter some kind of basing phase or bottoming process. And what that means, it sticks an initial low. Maybe this is it, maybe it's not. And then it ends up seeing a series of retests of those lows. And then with that, we start to see some improvement in momentum, meaning sort of like higher lows in our indicators, even as price just goes sideways. So we're going to wait for those positive divergences to unfold for Tesla. And that might mean we don't capture the absolute low, uh, but something closer to that with a lot less risk. I think the risks still are very high here. Um, also incorporating those top-down views. The mega caps have received so much attention for being under so much pressure in 2022. But I, I looked through your predictions based on the technicals here, and it looks like you think small caps end up being the laggards going into the new year. You know, it's funny because usually you would expect small caps to outperform at this time of year. There's sort of like a tax loss selling rebound at times. They call it the January effect. And and yet we haven't really seen that manifest itself as of yet in the markets, looking at the ratios of things like the Russell 2000 index to the S&P 500 index. So we are looking for small caps to sort of remain out of favor near term. And yet we're also looking for underperformance by the mega caps. And I think that's even more important because it means that the downside leadership is concentrated and really impacting market sentiment, especially as it pertains to Apple stock. And if you look at Apple stock, short term, it has a breakdown. And if you zoom out and look at the monthly bar chart, so a very longer term view, you'll see it still looks quite toppy. Conversely, the small caps, for the most part, had been trending lower for nearly two years. So some of those small caps collectively are are a bit more oversold. They have better support discovery. And even though they look lower near term with the broader market, they could be closer to a low as than some of the mega caps. For how long should investors keep their seatbelts ready to go and be prepared for this bumpy ride to continue? Well, I've been saying to our clients to be hedged through sort of the end of January, perhaps middle of February, as a targeted level for this sort of volatility uh, spike or event that we're anticipating. Uh, But listen, we always change with the market. We're constantly watching things, and we simply want to stay on the right side of the market. And if the market changes, we'll change with it. Um, If we had to look at our indicators to suggest when a low is more likely, It would not be until maybe March or or perhaps April in terms of just a long-term indication of that oversold reaction. Katie Stockton, so good of you to join us and share the benefits uh, of your research with us. Thank you. And that does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Enjoy your Wednesday. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.